So, um, what are your favorite moped sounds? I don't know, like touch a fly, was it moving? Like, no, nah, feel free locked up. Sounds like a fuck, dude. Oh boy! Wop, wop, wop. You fucking blew it! Yo, what's going on? Welcome back to Moped Money Podcast. It's another week here in the studio. Um, I hope you guys had a good week playing mopeds. Uh, Richmond had a crazy weather this week. It was cold during the week. And then Saturday, out of nowhere, it hit like 65 or something. Something crazy. And then it's and then it snowed today. So our weather's crazy. It's making no sense. It's out of nowhere. But uh, our friends and Smog Squad threw a little ride together yesterday, and we had like a really good turnout, like 13 people on a random Saturday where the sun came out, and we went on a little ride and let her know uh, the new prospect for the Smog Squad, Jody, lead the way, and we took some wrong turns, and we did some U-turns, and we went around a couple of circles, and it was great. Like I love rides where I don't have to worry about leading or paying attention. I just follow the guy in front of me and end up wherever we end up. <laughs> so, I don't know. Good time. Can't complain. And, yeah, we're live already. We got our guest on. It's Victor. Some of you guys might know him as Three Knees Down. He had, like, a cool blog. He did some, like, track racing. He did all sorts of cool stuff in mopeds. At least for me, because I love French bikes. My first bike was motorcane, so I'm like... You know, I was following his blog and like, you know, pumped on the shit he was doing. So why don't you say what's up, dude, and kind of introduce yourself and tell everyone where you're from. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, so thanks for the uh, intro. Um, three Knees Down or Victor, whichever you know me as. Um, uh, from New York. Right now I'm living in L.A., though. Um, it's pretty much uh, where I'm at as far as mopeds go. Uh I've been in the scene probably since 2012 is really when I was kind of getting embedded into it. That's, that's where most people kind of saw me uh, floating around and stuff, but, um, you know, doing my thing for the past couple of years, uh, with, uh, racing, mainly racing mopeds. And that's kind of where I'm at with, uh, with all the moped stuff. Hell yeah. So, what got you into mopeds, dude? How'd you find yourself playing with these little toys? Um, mopeds aren't toys, man. They're serious business. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's kind of strange because I didn't find myself to want to do moped stuff. Uh, it kind of happened on happenstance. Uh, back in college in upstate New York, there was a a friend of mine who at the very last day of school just came around with, a, I want to say it was a Honda hopper. And he was like, yeah, my, my dad and I were rebuilding this, this uh, moped. And I had never seen one before. I was like, "Whoa, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. So fast forward a year from then, um, I had to go to work. Uh, I lived in Albany. Or I lived in Schenectady and my job was in Albany. So it's like a 20 mile trip, give mm -hmm. or take. Mm -hmm. So I was like, Oh, you know what? I'll just, I'll just get a, a moped 
is you, you only need a driver's license and it's pretty cheap for a college student and it's, it's pretty easy. So I picked up a Tomo Streetmate and I rode that around for for the better part of a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, once you buy one moped, you can't just, <laughs> you, yeah. you can't. The addiction right? kicks, kicks in. Yeah, exactly. So this one had a bi-turbo um, pipe on it, and then I bought an aerosol kit. Uh, and eventually, as, as I said, I was going to buy another moped, and I was like, okay, well, what do I want? Um, so I've always been really huge into racing. Um, fortunately, I didn't have the funds to race when I was younger, so it's like, okay. Um, I saw the French moped uh, bikes on Skyrock, old school French forms, and I was like, oh, those are pretty awesome. I knew they were mopeds, but I didn't know what they were. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I found out it was Mode Bacon. so I was like, okay, I'm going to buy one of those. And I picked one up for like 150 bucks. It was kind of running. And yeah, just started going off from there. Yeah. I feel like you got like the easy start with like a Tomos on the first bike. And you're just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's this Tomos. And it just works and does all the things I want it to do. Yeah. And then you're like, ooh, let me dive off the deep end with uh, motorway canes. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people have trouble with motorway canes and Peugeot's. But Aside from like the really early trying to understand the the drivetrain on them, I they've been more reliable than the Tomos was to me. The Tomos I like always had issues with for whatever reason, but maybe I was just too much of a novice at the time to kind of understand what I was doing. Yeah. So you got the Mobicane and. At this point, were you already like you said you put a kit on and you were doing a little bit of like wrenching? Where like how deep were you in the mopeds? Had you found like moped army and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, so after like right before I graduated uh, with the Tomos, I was trying to look for people to ride with, and eventually I got a hold of a group called Mohawk Mammoths that were in Albany. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was run through Scott Birdsey and uh, a couple of other guys that were uh, in the scene for a good while during that time. So I talked to Scott. He was looking for someone to uh, uh, resident his uh, open space in the house that he bought. So I uh, rented the apartment there, and there was a three-car garage, so... At that point, I had access to all the tools and space that I needed to sort of put things uh, together. Um, Over the summer, before I moved in, I was working on the Tomos uh, through another person's place that they let me stay in for like a... uh, I was working for them, uh, building a website. Okay. So they just housed me during that time. Um, So that, that wasn't enough, but really what opened the doors for me was uh, living with Scott and having access to all of that. And he had a bunch of knowledge, uh, mainly on pooks. And uh, there's another guy there, Andy LaForest. Uh, he he was also like, a, he, was, he, he had all these crazy moped uh, ideas. He tried to build a turbo moped and all that. So 
It's always those about were, the, the experimental two-stroke two guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those are my influences. Um, one that knew most of the stuff and another one who was uh, go crazy with experimenting. Yeah. I feel like it's always um, when we find more mopeders to do the, to do the thing with, that's like when we really start like getting deeper into it. Like I know a lot of people are out there solo and that's all they got. Just them are in some oasis by themselves. But like when you find like a couple people to like do it with you, you're like more motivated to like dive deep. Yeah, exactly. And getting the mode of a con really was, uh, a gateway to doing racing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did buy it with the intention to go fast. Uh, it maybe not necessarily go fast on a track right away, but just to kind of like get the idea of what 50 miles an hour actually feels like and not pretend 50 miles an hour on the Tomo. <laughs> 47. So, I swear it's 50. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that by turbos, it adds at least two horsepower. Right? <laughs> so, uh, at that time, it was kind of like everything was happening in a really convenient manner. Uh, that year, 2012, when I graduated in May, was when Moped Mayhem was happening. That was hosted through Jesse Brosnan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was literally at the same time I was like, Oh, I want to start my own series uh, with moped racing. I want to get involved in the community, but in this way, and you know, the Polini cup had happened like I think in 2009 or something like that. And I wanted to kind of revive it, but on the East coast. So I looked up a local track at the time. It was called Cherry Valley. Mm -hmm. Now it's called Lafayette motorsports park, but I looked up Cherry Valley and then found out at the same time Jesse was doing Moped Mayhem. So Moped Mayhem happened in May, and it was just one day. And then my series was uh, like four or five races for that year. So you dove into starting races. and How was it as far as trying to get that set up? Um... So I went really ham into it and mind you, I, you know, I was still new to the moped scene and what it meant to really like ride mopeds. So I had all this rigid structure with the rulings and stuff really. <laughs> it should, it should have just said, bring a moped and come and race. Like yeah. that should have just been the rules, but I had so many questions about this and that, and it, it made it complicated, but, um, setting it up wasn't too bad. It was just a matter of convincing the track owner at that time, like, Hey, we want to come right around and how much would it cost? Um, I think it was like $65 entries, which now seems inexpensive compared to what the prices are for, um, renting that track for the day, like per person. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, it was, it was after Jesse's race, the rest of the series was pretty easy. It was just kind of like, okay, we see what you moped guys do and it's not a huge deal. You're not going to go kill each other on the track that you've never been on before. Cause yeah. obviously no one's ever really like raced like that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of the guys who showed up were um, from Boston, and they they essentially carried the torch for me much later on. Yeah, they're still doing um, it now. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Um, but it was it was cool because I got the track. I got Treatland to help sponsor um, LM, MLM um, mopeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forgot the. I think it was Desmond. Yeah. Is, yeah, they made a. Um, doing in some pipes he, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. He he built some pipes for some of the winners. He was trying to also make a uh, team, but that didn't really pan out. And 1977 mopeds um the owner was also reaching out to me to try and like heavily sponsor it so it it had some good moped feedback yeah but after the first two races i think the guys who were kind of curious about it came and went and never really showed back up again um and then the more serious guys they did come or ones who couldn't make it, they, all their bikes blew up. <laughs> so it was kind of stressful because every race was a month after each other. And that's not really enough time for most people to get the money together to rebuild their bikes. Yeah, and then um, make the travel and all that stuff too. Right. Especially since most of the members were from Massachusetts. It was like a six-plus-hour drive to them. mm so really, logistics was just getting people to come and show up. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of like our the 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 thing we always come up against. It's how far are people willing to travel to come do this thing? And like our community is already small, so mm-hmm. for more niche events like that, that makes it like harder for people to like justify. Like, okay, I'm gonna use my vacation and travel and potentially break the bike and all this stuff for the race weekend right yeah it was good too because we did have the full weekend um fridays we were allowed practice i think and then uh definitely in the mornings i had everyone do some practice uh eventually like i when i started i my bike was man the there wasn't even really a seat on it it was kind of like a plexiglass thing Mm -hmm. um super sketchy and by the end of the series it looked like an actual racing uh, moped which was awesome um and i was hoping for a lot more people to develop that way uh justin adler and mike tran were the two that sort of did that too along with uh ian templeton and john co so those guys all had like those were the two variated guys, John and Ian, mm-hmm. and Justin and Mike had their, um, uh, they had a Pook and a Tomos, so the non-variated guys. So they were really like heavily pushing um, the moped racing kind of scene at that time. Yeah. My, my bike was way overpowered. Uh, I had a bunch of imported parts from France and really like without much tuning at all it, it just ran like it was like i said it was one of the more, more reliable bikes i've ever ridden let's get into the let's get into the bike a little bit like so you is this and the one you built for the racing is that all like from the the basis of that first motorbike you bought um so there's three major revisions 
of that bike. The final one is essentially the only things that were on there are the cases and maybe the crankshaft that that are original from the first uh, build. Probably not even the cases because I would have had to have case matched them. So maybe just the crankshaft, to be honest. Um, but the first version was a 50V mm-hmm. Motobicon. And I was really, really uh, specific about how I wanted the bike to be. It had to be exactly like the ones from France. Yeah. So if you notice on the 50 V frames, we have in the United States, the badges on the side, uh, that say Motobicon mm-hmm. on it. Um, in France, there's this MBK and they don't have the badges on it. The frame is slightly different. So the closest one in the States that emulates that is uh, a traveler frame. So from the First version to the second version, it was a frame change. Uh, eventually, I got some Polini shocks um, and forks, uh, straight import. These are 30 millimeter forks, and the Polini shocks were just some like stuff that was really vintage, like 1988 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, wheels were imported as well because I wanted something that had this brake. Um, already machined and ready to go. Uh, eventually, that got upgraded to Grimica mags, and these are the widest mags you can get uh, for a Motobicon. The three so stars it, or the five stars? The three star ones. They're the swoopy ones. Okay. Um, so it's a, I think it's a 1.5 inch front and a 1.65 inch rear, uh, which is kind of big for a moped. And I was able to squeeze Bridgestone, Battleaxe, uh, Moto3 slicks onto it because they just have the right profile enough to clear the chain and everything. Yeah. How expensive and yeah. how hard was it to find those tires? Uh, the tires were, I want to say they were around 200 ish, uh, maybe 250 bucks. I, after, the first year, so like in 2013, I wanted to keep racing. I eventually went into um, New Jersey Mini GP. Mm-hmm. So that was about a six-hour drive south of me. But they held, uh, you know, just like for CRF 150s and uh, CRF 100 races on a go-kart track, but a much bigger one than Perry Valley. And uh, the vendor there... The, there's a Bridgestone guy, and I was able to buy those tires from him specifically. Otherwise, it would have been an import from England. Those are the only place they sell them. Yeah. At the time, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, as far as the bike goes, like I said, three versions. First version was pretty much anyone's typical Polini W air cooled thing. Um, second version was a. Uh, Bitolo water-cooled version. Um, Bitolo did remake their cylinders that year, 2013. So I was able to pick up one. Um, I had a Melosi Butterfly vintage water-cooled one. 
50 cc, but it had some clearance issues. Eventually, I sold that. Um, how much? And, of a, how much of a power uh, gain did you notice between the the Polini W and uh, the Bitola water cooled? Um, so the Bitola one definitely had way more power. I mean, going from an air cooled motor to an H two O one is like night and day. Uh, that said, Christoph's Polini W, I believe, was he had an air cooled one, and I rode it, and it was equally as fast. Um, but that was a lot of R and D put into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the definitely all the Bitolo port maps and everything out of the box are significantly faster. There's not much you really need to do. Yeah, I had an air cooled on my last motorbike. I had ridden uh, was Brian Schultz's original uh, Bitolo GR1 air cooled. I think Shane Johnson owns it now, um, and that's what I raced at Moped GP East last year. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't fast. It was pretty slow, actually. I think we capped it at like forty-one miles an hour. That's crazy. I feel like I feel like it was way faster when I had it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that bike, Shane's bike, it, it had a couple of issues. I think it was mainly variator and stuff, but that cylinder was probably super vintage, maybe like mid eighties, early nineties, so there wasn't a whole lot of tech. And I did a lot of research during those years, um, just seeing like Bitolo's development on their cylinders. So really their start, their starting cylinders, like the older you, you get them, the worse they are. Mm-hmm. So really you kind of want their newer vintage stuff. Yeah. If that's even the thing. Yeah. See, like, um, like I'm also like been like, you know, trying to like recap or on your blog, like get just glancing through it and stuff. And I see like you have like the, like a breakdown for pricing on motorbike between like, the different build like kind of classifications. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that I wrote kind of to get people an idea of what it would take to build a bike similar to mine and maybe even faster than that or more technologically advanced quote unquote Mm -hmm. than what I had. Um, those prices now are probably a little bit low to be honest, it, it might be like maybe five to a grand more, 500 to a grand more, give or take. Yeah. But I will say parts availability is significantly better. Um, and if you know uh, people or some French mopeders, there's a lot more development now for engine cases, crankshafts, cylinders and stuff, all still 50cc. And you can... If you have the coin, you can buy it and kind of just drop it in. Yeah. It's like the ultimate mode with cane build ever. It's like, that's what I always wanted to do. I was like, oh, I feel it'd be so cool to like have like all the bells and whistles you could ever guy. But the, the rabbit holes go so deep. <laughs> yeah. And those guys out there in France take it so seriously. So it, to them, it's an expense that they're willing to 
pour money into. For us, it's more of a hobby. Mm-hmm. So as your bike uh, progressed, like, and you were getting more practice, like racing and stuff, like how, how long did it take you to start getting better at it? And when did you, when did you like go out to California and do their race? So I think they had their Tomahawk Cup in 2013, the first one. And that was when I had the second version of my bike. So it was, um, it was still the Bitolo engine, I believe. And I was practicing with New Jersey Mini GP, uh, like I said, learning on, on that course with them. And it's kind of cool because at the time, the two fastest guys in the class in New Jersey was Anthony Maziato and Brandon Posh. Now they're both Motor America racers. So it's kind of nice to know that I, at one point, was racing against them when they were younger. Yeah, but that aside, um, racing and practicing with them. Eventually, I wanted to beat Kristoff, so that was kind of the thing at that time too. Kristoff was the quote unquote god of variated bikes. Um, <laughs> self-proclaim. <laughs> yeah, self-proclaim. Um, but I, I, I think to what a lot of people may or may not have realized is he had such a deep um, network of people that he can rely on. Um, Remy Cousseau, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's, he is what, from what I understand, the guru in France yeah. and him and Christoph were able to just sort of talk moped stuff. So Christoph always had, in his back pocket, vintage knowledge specifically for the bikes that he had. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my head, I was thinking, okay. Um, and I was good friends with Chris off at the time too. It was more just, I want to be the best in the United States. Yeah. Um, and I, I talked to Christoph. um, it's like, Hey, I'm going to go out to California and race with you guys. We made it a whole, two week trip. Um, we drove down there with the, with the mopeds, got lucky two strokes on board with it. Um, they raced their own classes and, uh, meeting Christoph in person was pretty cool. Um, just to share knowledge and, um, gain some insight on some things that I may or may not have known. And I wasn't necessarily the best racer at the time. Um, but I wouldn't know from that first race because literally within the first 30 minutes of arriving to the track, after I drove, you know, four days straight to get over there, hang out in LA until the race has started. First 30 minutes I go out on track and I didn't realize that after turn two, going into turn three, it's kind of a blind hill. So I'm going full speed and I have to make the turn. So I lock up the front brake and flip over the bike. The clip-ons that I had were really crappy. So they like flung forward and then I pulled the bike down and did a front flip. It was, it was a disaster. Um, I smashed my right hand into the floor mm. and I kind of blacked out for a little bit. 
after they took me off of the track just from like adrenaline rush and whatever. So I had to race that whole weekend with the sports cast on. Oh, that's crazy. So, yeah, I didn't do too great. Um, I think I got third during that race. I'm not too sure just cause the bike was fast, right? The, mm-hmm. the only guys there that really showed up to, um, with bikes that were going to dominate was myself, Christoph and Ryan Mayer who was riding Christoph's other bike. Yeah. So the Wonder Bread bike. So the, the third was probably inevitable for that class, but I had a good time and I learned a lot by next year's when everything had changed. And it was like a new bike. You stepped your bike up to the next level or was you go, went back with the same setup? Um, so similar, similar setup. This was version three or close to version three. Um, I had a lot more track experience because I'd finished the rest of the season with New Jersey Mini GP, um, learning the bike, tuning the bike, seeing what the pitfalls were. And what was the and, what was the full setup on version three for for those who like don't know? <laughs> um, so version three was the full fairings, uh, Polini, or sorry, Paoli. Forks, 30 millimeters in the front with the Grimica mags, the swoopy ones mm-hmm. uh, with those tires. A traveler frame that was reinforced. A little low, uh, the TSA 50cc or 51cc, whatever you want to call it. Uh, H2O cylinder, 8010 cases. Uh, and some, I think it was Melosi reeds or Bidolo reeds in there. A um, little bit of vintage stuff on that uh, 19 millimeter PHBG. If I was to do it all over again, I would probably go up to a 21 or a 24 because it really was kind of starving. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Doppler clutch pulley with Tomahawk's clutch brace in it and springs. So that, that was really that was really all that was needed oh and woodcraft clip-ons because i have to sponsor them <laughs> or they sponsored me and i have to promote them that's cool any like light in bell or anything like that do you light it in clutch pads uh christoph gave me a light in bell and just had a bunch of holes in it but uh a crank was an artec crank and a bit of low variator i think that's kind of important to distinguish i had a bunch of er3s that I had just burned through, like those things would not last me more than a race and a half. Mm. Um, they would just get destroyed. So I tried a Melosi variator. It was a little bit too big. Tried it inverted. So flipped it around, tried to flip it around ER3. That didn't really help much either. Then eventually I got a hold of a new old stock Bidolo variator. It's, Bigger than an ER3, but smaller than a Melosi one. Okay. Do you have to do but any it, like, any any other sh- extra like frame mods? I think I know I've seen sometimes that uh, people were moving their motor mounts to like help the uh, alignment and stuff. Yeah, I did that. Um, put some new motor mounts. Found the tool online to actually remove that those motor mounts because those things are pesky as hell. Um. And yeah, I moved the motor mounts over and tried to get the 
motor as far left as possible. And you kind of just get a happy medium with it. Um, the spring too, now that I'm thinking more about it, cause there's a, the JD racing spring. Yeah. Like the, uh, cent- the center. And, it's like the center encapsulated version. Yeah. But I took that encapsulated piece out because I found that it was catching when it would fully vary. Um, and there's a Ninja G2 pipe on it. And it's a remake of the, the card black or black card version. Mm-hmm. Uh, those at the time were being remade by another French guy who, I guess, found the plans for them, the dimensions, and they able to find a manufacturer to get them remade. So it was, it was pretty much as French g2 moped as it can be sick i mean it definitely sounds like a sick setup for sure like a lot of us would probably dream about something close to that <laughs> yeah it it costed a pretty penny i think <laughs> if i added everything up it, it would i should have just bought a motorcycle yeah <laughs> you're like going like you know four or five grand into a moped <laughs> i that might be generous <laughs> yeah the, the, if I added up all the versions of it, it would probably well over 10, 10 grand. Yeah. I mean, we're not, none of, we all know none of us are allowed to add up all the money we put into mopeds over the years. Like, yeah, no, definitely <laughs> like, not. Like, no one wants to see that, <laughs> like, on a, a profit loss sheet, you know? <laughs> no, no. Especially since I, and this rings true for a lot of moped guys, we like to experiment and, the way I was experimenting was just trying to find like really good setups mm-hmm. that worked. So it was just a lot of buying parts from France, dealing with French guys who didn't really want to talk to me. Cause they're like, what the heck American knows about French moped racing? Like, come on. Yeah. So it was finding people who would actually sell me parts was really the first major loophole or first major step. Hurdle, yeah. Yeah. Hurdle. Um, eventually I found some people who would sell me stuff. Some of them scammed me, some of them, uh, overcharged me, but you know, you live and you learn, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you finally got version three set up and you're ready to go back to California. Tell us about that. Yeah. So this was, uh, uh, let's see. trying to think of the year exactly. Yeah, it should be 2015. Um, so 2015, go back and I have a fresh bike ready to go. A lot more racing experience. And it was a dog fight from start to finish. We started off in the variated class. So I'm, I'm just skipping forward here, just straight to the racing. Yeah. That's what they care about, the money shot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so you can probably find that video in one of the first videos that I've done on my channel. Um, and that whole the whole practice leading up to it, I felt pretty quick. I don't remember the lap times at the time, but it was definitely really close to what the um, – mini GP guys do on that track Grange. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I don't know if they still call it Grinch, but so it was a dog fight. Uh, starting off, Kristoff took off pretty much straight away for the first couple laps, and I was behind Ryan the whole time, and I was super aggressive, rubbing elbows, bumping into Ryan back and forth, back and forth. And it was weird because on the straightaways, he would pull away from me like it was nothing. Like I would get past him in the corners, but once it came to the straightaway, uh, he was catching up and passing me. I wasn't really sure what was going on. Uh, eventually, we caught up to Kristoff. I don't know if he was tired or if his bike was running a little funny, but uh, we get into one of the turns. I want to say it's like seven or eight. And on this track, it's in this section, it's a, a right-hander that goes uphill and then turns left-hand over a hill. So I am behind Kristoff, and I think Ryan already got past Kristoff. So I'm just trying to catch up. And I get past Kristoff on the inside, going right-handed, and we're going up the hill. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm clear. I'm, I'm just going to cut left. So I cut left. And uh, according to everyone at that time, the entire stands was standing up and, uh, and everyone was going insane because Kristoff had crashed out. Why? His handlebar got caught up on my leathers, and I didn't know until the next couple laps. Mm. So Kristoff went down and the rest of the battle was just myself and Ryan. So we were going back and forth. Um, eventually I was able to trick Ryan into thinking that I was going to continue going right handed in a, in a specific section of the course. And then I cut left immediately and then was able to just get out all the way to the finish line. So it was really like, a close race all the way to the end. Yeah. Um, come to find out the reason why I was not going fast on the straight, my tire was loose in the, or my wheel was loose in the back. So it was rubbing against the swing arm, the tire. Damn. So fix, <laughs> fix that up for unlimited. And it was another, it was an easy win at that point. That's crazy. It was like that close and you're like fighting like essentially your bike breaking the whole time. Right. And I didn't notice um, the bike felt pretty stable. And when you're racing, you cut your brain just kind of turns off on all sorts of things. So you're, you're just hyper focused on what's ahead of you and what you're going to do. And when you're battling with someone at that speed and at that level, you're, you're not, you're not going to notice that kind of stuff. Um, so it was just funny to see afterward, the entire sidewall of that slick was melted off just because it was rubbing the whole time. You're like, no, that's a hundred dollar tire. Stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was worth it. Yeah. I, I had won the race yeah, and the, then the, I the won. Glory, the yeah. I, I remember like hearing about you beating Kristoff and I was like, yes. And we're all just, just like, yes, he took him like victory East coast. We did it. <laughs> we're all like living through yeah. you <laughs> at the time. Yeah, yeah. I was like, super stoked. The guru's down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was super stoked and it was, it was kind of cool for me because I identified more with you guys than I did with Kristoff. Cause 
you know, I knew Christoph had uh, a lot of helping hands in the background. So for me, someone with like very little knowledge within like two years to be able to beat someone with a lot more knowledge was really cool. Yeah. I also like love like that you were doing the blog and all that stuff at the time too, because like, I remember like when I first got in the mopeds, like my first bike was motocane. I was like, cool. If I get a mo- mo- moped, I'm only getting a motocane. I was so pumped on it. And like, you know, digging through moped army and trying to find the information and like stumbling across Tomahawk and like, you know, watching his videos. And I remember like way back then he had like some that were in English and he was making posts on Mepid Army. And I was like, oh, sick. He's like giving out all this information. And then like there was that weird period of time where he just like stopped and all the videos were only in French and he didn't post anything and he didn't want to give away any information. And then like you started doing your blog and it was like, here, this is exactly what I do. This is exactly how I do this. These are the parts I'm using. These are the bearings I'm buying. And like, it was well detailed and like you weren't scared to just like share the information that you learned. Yeah. I, I kind of wanted to flip the script there because I knew it's weird for someone to share all that information in France where they're competitive in racing, but why do that here? You know, it made absolutely no sense to me. Just share the wealth. I wanted to grow the sport of moped racing. So the only way to do that is by telling everyone, this is the setup. See if you can beat me with it. Yeah. You know? And it's one of those things too. It's like with anything, just cause you give someone the information, just like all things, mopeds, no matter how much you tell someone exactly how you do it, there's going to be a very small percentage of people who are actually going to take all the effort and steps and time and money that it takes to do those things. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Countless hours of time in the garage, setting up, rebuilding the motor i think i've rebuilt that motor every other race weekend just stripped it all the way down and put new gaskets in put new seals in so yeah it 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 really is a time sink yeah how'd you get into how'd you even get into starting the blog or had you always had you like always been in the blogging uh so i used to just like write stuff here and there for um, forums when I was younger, doing video games and whatever. So blogging just kind of made sense for me to sort of of document and share my knowledge and have something to look back on, uh, which is why I've kept the blog open and kept all that stuff uh, available. So it it was just a matter of like, I want to upkeep look back every now and then, see what I've done and how much progress I've made, um, share the knowledge, start to connect with people. Uh, the blog really was interesting because I would talk to people from the UK who were also doing moped racing. Mm-hmm. Um, Spain, uh, Spain's a big one. Most of those guys were riding derbies though. And Brazil, I think I had on the blog, I looked up the, audience statistics and it was like over 30 percent of the viewers were from brazil interesting so yeah they were hugely interested in the content that i had for whatever reason i i'm I'm not sure that's crazy still so as you're like you get into the racing thing you still doing like 
the typical moped kind of scene thing with the uh, moped rallies and stuff like that? Yeah. So the, eventually after, after I beat Kristoff, you know, I did a couple of other races with mopeds and I was like, okay, it's time to step up to motorcycles. So I bought an R3, a Yamaha R3 and, eventually started racing uh i think it's like 2017 2018 in a track called uh chuckwalla valley mm-hmm. and this is a pretty famous track for motorcyclists uh, a lot of the moto america racers use that track for off-season practice because the races are run in the winter time so they can have like a full season of practice racing in the winter time and then do their real racing in the summer. So it was was a good setup for me to just get into motorcycle racing in uh, in a more serious manner. During that time, I was just hanging out with uh, some of the moped guys in Arizona and Los Angeles whenever I had the chance. So it was just like the typical stuff, you know, bring the, race bike out and run it around, see if it'll die. It still hasn't. <laughs> um, and just, just kind of shoot the shit, you know, and help out when, wherever I could in the community. There was a lot of people, even when I stopped racing mopeds, there were still people coming up to me and asking me for advice and information and things. So it's was, it was great. I, I never truly left in that sense. Yeah. I love that. What were like? What would be some of your like uh, your biggest tips for like people building French bikes? Big tip for building a French bike: um, have deep pockets <laughs> and low expectations. Um, if, yeah. if you're if you're building a, a French bike to go fast, you honestly can't skimp out. It's really hard to just. Like you, you can't buy just a Doppler clutch pulley. You need you need a variator to go with it because the stock variator is not good enough. Um, yeah, you can run an AV7 motor, but really an AV10 is what's going to make more power. Um, it, really, if if I can go back in time. And give myself advice, it would probably be just make sure when you put things together, you put them together well. Because it's very easy on Motobicons and Peugeots, I feel like, to just uh, put things together thinking that it's going to work or that there aren't tolerances because there's a lot of tolerances on these bikes. If most people figure out to line their crankshaft, to uh, set the premix right, to tighten all the nuts and bolts exactly as they should be, uh, there will probably be a lot less broken mobies sitting in people's garages. Yeah, I, I think that's um, probably my biggest piece of advice. Just take your time putting it together and put it together well. I think uh, one of the biggest things I learned from like watching like your videos and your blog and stuff back then was... Um was like the the bearings you were using and how you were shimming the bearings and actually like pr- like properly centering your crank 
so that like when you put it together, like there was no hang up, it always spun free. Exactly. I the first uh, my first go around, I just you know you heat up your cases, you drop your bearing in, you drop your crankshaft in, you smush them together, and you expect it to work. There's actually tolerances, and if you have your crankshaft rubbing, it's probably going to break on you. And rob your speed. Let alone rob your speed. Yeah. The, um, I would say the things you could get away with, as in not having to spend money on, um, you can run the CDI, the aftermarket CDI that's got like that bell on it. You don't need the fancy PVL ignition that I have on my race bike. It's the, the regular CDI is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and but Loctite it first and take it apart. <laughs> Re- yeah, rebuild yeah. it when you get it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're going to have to do that for pretty much every single French part that you get. Uh, they're, they're all uh, assembly required. Um, you could get away with uh, the stock frame. It's okay. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. You know, like the stock swing one as well, like the round one. Um, square one is obviously much better. It's much more rigid, but, you know, if we're, if we're trying to make it really cheap, yeah, I, I think the most important things are the variator and the clutch pulley. You can double up the springs, you know, just put two stock springs on. I, I did that for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, air cold is pretty fast too. Polini W kit, I, I swear by it. Any any recommended port work? Um, my recommendation for port work is always measurements first before I give numbers. So. Generally speaking, I went for like, if I was running race gas, uh, which I did at the Moped GP race, the second one, mm-hmm. I was running MR12 or MRX02. MR12 is the four-stroke version. Uh, if I was running that gas, I would go for like 32 degrees blowdown, which is usually around... 190 degrees exhaust duration. Um, I didn't really mess with the side ports too much. I just made sure they were all even. So I took the one that was the highest and any of the low ones that were off by like a millimeter or half a millimeter just made them all the same level mm-hmm. and sort of cleaned up the position of the, of the ports. Cause if you take like a, a garden hose and pour water into the ports, you could kind of see the direction that the fluids and air, how it's going into the cylinder. So you can kind of reshape it. It's like an old school trick. Poor man's trick without a flow, uh, flow meter. Um, so you do that. Yeah. Really, it's just like just make it clean and make it good, you know? I remember seeing no, some crazy video. I don't know where I saw it. Where the guy took like a like a five gallon water jug and made like a flow meter like out of it. 
Like it ran into a cylinder and like, all right, let's see how fast, how long it takes to get the water to flow through the exhaust, like through the, you know, through the cylinder. And then they yeah. do some port work and then they do it again. And that's how they like measured, like if they were getting better flow or not. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, if we were all crazy scientists, I think it would be super relevant. But at the end of the day, I, I think moped guys especially would benefit from just learning the tracks better um if we're if we're talking strictly speed yes but we're talking racing i went out last season uh, at moped gp east on a 40 mile an hour bike and beat bikes that i know go 60 yeah so just track experience i think is king at this point for most uh most of the racers out there uh what are your thoughts on the because i always see like the the pipe mods that chris was doing and you guys were doing where you're like cutting off the mount and moving the pipe a little closer underneath the the bike and all that stuff like what were your reasons behind the pipe mods yeah so if you've ever seen any of the moped french guys the way that they have their exhaust set up um, because of French law you you kind of have to make the, the pipe not as racy as possible but still fast enough for the teenagers to, to get their adrenaline rush mm-hmm. um, so if you had your bike in sort of a race mode the right side of the frame has an empty space uh, for you to move the exhaust mount over. And the reason why you want to do that is, one, the stock mounts mount to the swing arm. That's bad. Uh, that's bad because the pipe is moving now when your suspension is traveling up and down. Uh, so you're going to kind of mess with the the flow of what's going on in the engine. It's not going to be consistent. So that's really nitpicky, but it, it does apply for our small engines. Uh, the second reason is you can get the exhaust much higher up and closer to the frame. Uh, a lot of guys who are running their exhaust uh, straight off of the swing arm, when they're making those right turns, they're just dragging the exhaust straight onto the ground. Yeah. So that's really the reason why you would want to move that mount over. And it's kind of annoying to do because you have to re-weld and uh, sort of make your own mount or little pivot thing. Um, the arm that holds the exhaust to the frame. So I had to bend mine around and mess with it. But once you get it to work, it's, it's perfect. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. That's sick. So you got started getting into racing motorcycles. How's that been since you transitioned into that? Um, so I started on the R3, like I said, in 2017, I did that for a season and then took a small hiatus, uh, just to have my, uh, fiance do her studies because that was significantly more important than me running around on the racetrack. Uh, after all that was said and done, I came back uh, a year and a half ago and just practiced on the R3 again. I was in the amateur class. So the way that professional racing goes is 
you have your amateur class where it's just all guys who did the racing school and uh, you get a yellow plate. And eventually, if you get enough points throughout the season, you can bump up to an expert. And then after expert, if you're really good and you can uh, go a season with a significant amount of points and um, attendance, you have to attend as many races as possible throughout the year, you can apply for a professional license. Um, so I went from amateur to amateur on an R3, which is 300cc, mm-hmm. to a ZX6R, which is 600cc, super sport. And the reason why I chose that is because uh, I was winning pretty much all the R3 races, and anyone who was beating me was because their bike, they were faster. They might have been a more skilled rider, but also they had more stuff on their bike. Like I just had a pipe and an ECU mm-hmm. um, tune-up and some slicks. It wasn't even, there wasn't much to it. No suspension work or anything. It was all stock. So instead of pouring money into a bike that's so small and most of the guys now are racing Ninja 400, so they have like a 80cc advantage over my bike. I just went straight to 600 class. Yeah. Um, extremely more competitive. Uh, my first time out on Expert, I think I got like, I, I got seventh place, which was great out of like, almost 20. And then everyone sort of woke up because of the first race of the season. The second race, every, everyone was passing me. I think I got like 18. Mm. So, uh, it, it was a hard go and pretty rough start for me, but eventually my lap times improved. And that's really where, uh, I think most people racing motorcycles kind of look as lap times, not necessarily like, um, going faster. Yes, you want to go faster and yes, you want to win, but to be consistent on your times and improving on that every time is, is sort of key yeah. uh, in, in racing. Because everyone's bikes in the super sport class are, I want to say stock, but it's, it's not stock. Like everyone's got a cap. You can't throw like a, a, a piston kit, for example. It's got to stay 600cc, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you gotta use like you have unlimited electronics but you can't swap forks it's gotta be the stock forks so things like that kind of keeps it competitive and the playing field level yeah um, so yeah it's really just a matter of grinding out as much time through the corners and like chipping it away I think I started off the season at a minute and 59 seconds um, lap time in both directions at CVMA. And now I'm down to a minute and 53 in both directions. I can probably go down a couple more seconds if I clean up a, a couple turns. But with context, that only puts me within the top five racers mm-hmm. uh everyone past that if moto america guys show up it's going to be lap times of 147 so 
it's really, really, really competitive. But that keeps it like uh, keeps you like interested, like right? Because there's, there's always more to learn. Yeah, and you know, it, it kind of keeps me sort of. Uh, you, you have to keep a perspective on it. It was my first year out. Uh, really, I started last September on the six hundred. Um, so I to see improvement every race is amazing. But I have to understand that the guys who are winning are much more experienced than I am on 600cc and may have a much bigger budget. Like a Motor America super sport bike will probably have, you know, close to six figures worth an R&D in it. Even though their bike is supposed to be similar to mine, the technology and the research into the suspension and uh, any tweaks and modifications, the ECU, you know, because the electronics are all open, mm -hmm. they can be running very specific traction control that I will never Unlike. have my hand on. So, you know, I, I, yeah, maybe 147 is great, but I have to be on, on my best behavior in that race. Sounds tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's really stressful. Especially if you don't have like a, like a team behind you. Like, how's that with getting sponsors and stuff like that to help? Yeah, so it's kind of awkward. And the issue with racing in the winter time is most of the sponsors run their sponsorship period during the winter time. So I had to start without any sponsors. Um, and crashing a, a 600 is very expensive. So it, it's really just like delicate dancing, finding the fine line before I go down and wreck the bike and basically end my season because a motor, a blown motor could easily cost four or $5,000. Yeah. Um, a set of tires for me on the weekends, I make it stretch. The, the whole weekend as much as I can, but a set of tires will run $500 front and rear. Mm. So if I want to keep a budget of around $1,200 with track fees, uh, putting the bike in the van, driving the van through California with our gas prices being $5 plus a gallon on a van that cost me $120 to fill up every time. Mm. one way <laughs> it, it, it all adds up it, it gets pretty pricey so yeah privateer efforts are i commend the professionals who are privateers yeah let me just put it that way it makes you all uh, miss moped racing <laughs> yeah it really does <laughs> it really does when i when i came back last year um really the goal was to come back into moped racing and do it on other people's bikes just to show that it was never my bike. Cause there were a couple of guys back in the day who were like, you're, you're only fast because your bike has got all this tech in it. And it's true. The bike is fast, but I sort of just took that and was like, okay, well I'll, I'll ride Shane Johnson's bike and see how that goes. And 
I was probably six or seven seconds faster than anyone else per lap yeah. on that track. It was like that track experience. No one yeah. ever died. Yeah, yeah. It, it really does help. And I think now if I do it again, I'd be even faster because I did a racing school last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's what brought me down a bunch of seconds. And I'm just still using the knowledge that I got from racing school uh, on the track. Mm-hmm. And if anyone wants free advice on that, break earlier and softer. You don't need to... You don't need to go full speed into the corners and then just mash on the brakes. You actually want to do the opposite. That that brought me down at least two seconds. Hmm. I'm going to take that to the go-kart track. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, as far as back to motorcane stuff, uh, you race with a launch lever, right? Yes. How You want to explain like how you, you utilize a launch lever racing like on a track? Sure. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know anything about motobicons, uh, for racers, and you can use this on the street too, launch lever basically just throws the engine into a higher RPM. So you can think of it as like shifting down on, in a car or a motorcycle. Um, and what that does is your two strokes rev high and make most of our power at the high ends, uh, you using your foot to make the RPMs higher will make the acceleration faster, make the power uh, generate more easily on these motors. So on my Motobicon, I had a vintage, uh, it was a bit of low specific launch lever, but you can use if you just make shift something with a rod and a, and a little lever and a pivot point and just push the motor, it's the same thing. Um, we dynoed my bike to make it the most power at around, uh, 12 to 13,000 RPMs. And I had a tachometer attached to my bike so I can see what RPMs I was at. Mm Mm-hmm. So anytime I would go through the corners on the straightaway, I would put the launch lever, I would push down with my foot, forcing the motor to high rev and keep it within that RPM range and slowly lift my foot up so that way the bike can quote-unquote shift up um, as it's going through the CBT. So that's, that's really how you're supposed to use a launch lever. Um, you can use it for really fast takeoffs. I used to be able to wheelie the bike if I just hold the launch lever down and just whip the, the throttle open. Um, it, it gives you pretty good acceleration, and then you just let your foot go and the bike takes off. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure how how much you listen to the podcast or if you've been like, you know, keeping your ear to the ground on the fucking scene right now. I'm like I feel like I'm beating a dead horse too because I've talked about this like a couple weeks in a row or at least a, a lot in the last couple of months. And if you've been on like the uh, like the Facebook group for uh, Pook Mopeds or something, you've probably seen some of it. But there's like this uh, 
I don't want to say new. It's new to the bigger community of mopeds because, but not new to them because they've been doing it for a while. But there's this whole scene in Southern Florida that's doing like moped drag racing. And okay. They've been like just drag racing, like just dudes building pooks and tomoses and drag racing for cash, like on the streets in Florida. And it's like this crazy, like whole, like a uh, you know, like. It reminds me of like like a like a car illegal drag scene, you know, like all right, man, yeah, yeah, we're all yeah. meeting at the spot, you know, got your money on the table, like we're racing for whatever, you know, show up and like they, you know they talk their trash and get to you get the post and you get the like have the bragging rights to the next race, and I'm just like they they're they're only racing pooks and tomoses, and I'm like dude, like we're all just like on the internet, just like man, like if ever there was like a bike for you guys to just get like smashed by, it'd be like some crazy single speed French bike or like a crazy dual variated moped. Yeah. I, I'm kind of surprised. I kind of had seen something like that, uh, what you're talking about, but I didn't really look too much into it. Is, are these guys not in the moped scene at all? Or is it just like some weird separate sub of a subculture? It is like, it's, it's exactly that. It's, it's, it's their own thing. It's for one for one. Florida's a weird place, so sure. <laughs> you can just say like, "Oh, it's it's Florida," but th- it's deep Florida in the South, and they've like had this whole community blow up around. Mo- and these are like old guys. These are like, you know, the the dudes who were like, you know, on those on these sites that were, they're talking about like King Snake and Tyrone and like you know whatever. They're they're probably I want to say they're in their fifties or sixties. And they're building like fast pooks and they're using like meth- methane gas or methanol. I can't remember what the gases they're using. And like they're building crazy race bikes and they're putting money on it and dragging drag racing gilas. And I'm just like, these bikes are fast. But like I had them on the podcast. I'm like, you guys haven't raced against any French bikes or any like dual variated bikes. I'm like, that'd be like a different ball game. I'm like, a 50cc like well tuned motorcane or. Peugeot or something would like probably smash a like a seventy cc pook off the line, and I doubt they'd catch up. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder if they already know that and they kind of just banned it, and maybe they think it's like a scooter and not a moped. I just don't think they have those bikes down there, so that's just not something they've ever like been into or like you Mm -hmm. know looked into. And and I like I when I when I had him on the podcast I was telling him about French bikes and I'm like yeah like I don't know if you guys were able to hang with French bikes but the way we have like the the racing circuits like MotoGP and the stuff that's still going on now like you know the West Coast mid Midwest East Coast GP they're they have it split into different classes you know variated bikes you know stock you know single speed and. Mm. So, so I think I kind of scared them off of like racing against French bikes and dual variated stuff, like from that conversation. <laughs> Cause they're like, yeah, yeah, you got a Pook or you got a Tomos, you bring it. But I'm like, dude, there's, there's French bikes. So it's just like, okay, they held launch lever and they ripped off the line. And then they were at 50 before you even hit 30. Like you're not catching up no matter like, you know, maybe if the race was two miles long with their, their drag racing, like. Yeah, so I tried to top speed my bike, and I ran out of room at the quarter mile, 
before I was going to go on to a crossroad, mm-hmm. I was hitting 68 and I still had more speed to go. Yeah. Um, that's on 50, 50cc. So if I put a smaller, like a shorter gear or not shorter, a longer gearing, I could probably easily hit 70 plus. Yeah. The, the guys would never catch up. We drag raced my bike also in Boston. Um, at one of the lucky two strokes rallies, uh, a big scenes rally. And yeah, nobody could kick, nobody could catch up to mine. Like they, they got everyone's bike to race against me and I was just smashing them every time. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. There's like, there's, we have crazy fast bikes in the scene right now. Like, um, our, our homie Jake Kane from the, from the castle rollers has this like yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. monster Tomos. And it's like, that thing crushes off the line and like and even with that there's there's bikes that are faster than that you know the, you out west and you have the boys with their with their crazy scooter kit derbies that are like you know faster than that off the line it's like there's crazy movements mm-hmm. out and i'm like i really i like think i don't know i think this is like the year it probably this probably isn't the year because we probably can't get it all together but i think it would be super sick to have like a legit like moto gp quote-unquote like drag race like all right cool like we've we've been doing the track thing the track thing's fun everyone's doing their thing we've been seeing the progression in it and um, and it was cool to see that it's still going on and there's like one in the midwest now and the east coast and the west coast but like let's like bring all these like southern drag boys in and have some like legit drag race somewhere in the south but it's got to be somewhere where they show up so because like it's all about the bragging rights like we got to like you know, someone's got to hold the torch for the year, you know, like, all right, cool. Everyone shows up. We have this big event and like you get to carry the, the bragging rights and the, like, you know, a trophy or some shit until next year. Sure. I would, I would go to Florida just to smash them. <laughs> <laughs> Show them what French mopeds are, are all about. Yeah. It'd be sick, dude. I think it'd be cool. Like you see like these, like the crazy, like Indonesian, like kids, like racing, like, you know, like mopeds and stuff too in the streets and they're like have these crazy bikes with like bicycle wheels and they're ripping dicks off the line and you're just like damn like Mm -hmm. people have some fast stuff you know yeah i I will say and i've I've been saying this since i i started moped racing i'm terrified of derbies i think derbies are the fastest mopeds ever yeah it's like a sc- scooter tech, dude. Yep. It's there. The chassis and the frame is so, so, but if you can get around that, I think, I think they would be any Motocon or Peugeot well-built and yeah. down, but I've never seen anyone really show up with one that was like perfect. I think, um, a couple of the land squids, I think Jesse yeah, Stevenson, a couple other guys out there have like monster derby builds. Yeah, the yellow and black uh, derby. Um, Dave Mazora's bike. Yeah, yeah that that one so fast. I it was racing against that. It was almost as fast as my bike. I think. I got, I, I've had so many people in the podcast. I, I had 
one of the guys from out there that had the like the fully built uh motor became <sighs> you were building one for a minute there i can't remember like the replica of the oh, the beta low yeah yeah Shane, Shane probably yeah because i sold him all that stuff to him but like i don't know i don't know there's just something about seeing like all full out race builds which is like it, I don't know. They're fun to look at. Like, I think they're cool the shit to like see in person. And like, I still mm-hmm. have yet to see some like the full out race stuff. You know, like like hands on in my face. Like, all right, you go with the full fairing bike or the derby with like all the scooter tech. You know, welded to it. You've like machine your wheels to be perfect. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah. all the, all those little touches that you can do for mopeds that make them like a thousand times better. Like everything's braced perfectly like your frame's not falling apart on you yeah i think um when i get to the point of retirement and i'm kind of done with everything that i'm involved with i'll probably go back and maybe run a little moped or scooter shop just as a a retirement plan and in the back just start building monster (laughs) monster bikes you know just like pure race frame maybe even like forks from a motorcycle or a moto or a moto three bike and just like a a crazy moto pecan engine or a derby engine or something like that just like giving out all this knowledge to these little 16 year olds like let them race their little hearts content Mm -hmm. keep perpetuating it until i die Someone asked you, right? Yeah, I'm glad it's still going. I'm I'm really happy. I didn't think that, you know, starting the racing back in 2012, it would. We're, we're talking 10 years now, 2022. We're still out there racing mopeds, and it's evolved. You know, past just us on a go kart track. We've got guys racing their dirt heads. Um, for a while, it was even on TV, the um, flat tracking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome to see how how all this has turned out. Yeah. Dude. Well, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate it. No, thank you for having me on. I, I really enjoyed uh, walking through memory lane and <laughs> sharing sharing with people some of the things that, that have happened uh, over the years. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you've had like, like a really like, to me, like you've had like a really interesting like journey through mopeds cause, cause it hasn't been so much the like, you know, club rally, like, you know, local group ride. And like, that was it. It was like, you came in like wanting to race and had like a, like a passion for that. And then like to see you like, you know, go through that and like beat, beat Kristoff and like all this stuff. It's like cool to me. <laughs> yeah. I hope it was a, inspiring to some people and hope to see you guys out on track oh yeah dude um even if it's just for some beers (laughs) yeah dude the hangout spot like i I still would love to go out to like the west coast gp and like bring my tent and like the the, you know the the podcast set up and like all right dude we're here let's get it yeah definitely yeah cool well thank you once again dude um let me go ahead and 
wrap it up. But is there anything, any shout outs you want to give or, uh, you know, anything you want to ask me before we go? Um, shout outs. Let's see. Um, I mean, just shout out to everyone who came up and showed to the races over the years and sort of helped me go through putting that together. Uh, I really couldn't have done that without uh, the guys of Lucky Two Strokes, um, Justin and Mike and Quinn, uh, all those, all those, too many people to list, you know, basically the Boston crew. You, you guys are, are my heroes in that respect. Um, uh, shout out to Doug for carrying the torch. So I think that's passing to uh, another set of people now. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Just thanks for the support over the years, and I'm happy that people were. I'm happy that I was able to help some people. Uh, with their moped stuff, that's that's really what what it all was for me. Yeah, dude. One weird question, last question. Like, uh, where did you get your like bearings? Because I remember like watching you do the the bearings, and I can't remember what they're called. What? But when you were building motor canes, like, oh, check out these cool bearings. And it was the first time I'd seen them. Where the inner races and the outer race, like the balls come out of it. And you're like, yeah, these are slip fit. And you were just like taking them on and off. And I was like, whoa, that blew my mind. <laughs> Uh, those I I found the part number on mir35.com because that's their like racing parts sort of like Treatland Mm -hmm. for us it's racing parts for the guys out in France Uh, they had a part number and I just looked that up online and found a vendor to buy it off of I, I can't remember how much it cost but they were pretty expensive yeah, that shit was cool. You were like, you're like shimming out the the crank bearings, and you just take them on and off, and put them back on, and put it together, and be like, yeah, I need to shim a little more, and just pull them off. And you're like, what? Like no heat, yeah. no, no nothing. You just takes them off. No, it was great. Those are probably like the best, the best things ever. Yeah, dude. So much like I don't know. It's just cool. Just like so much little little tech and little information that you were just like giving away on the blog and stuff too. It's just like, all right, man, like. Here you guys go. Have it all. Hey, my, my door is still open, uh, although my knowledge may be a little rusty. So you can <laughs> catch me on Facebook or on Instagram. I, uh, I'm still answering questions. Cool. Where can they uh, find you? Uh, on Instagram, Three Knees Down. Uh, YouTube, same channel. Uh, occasionally, I'll post a video. Yeah. And uh, Facebook, just my full name cool i know um our buddy jesse was wondering when you like if you were going to start posting more moped content on your videos yeah maybe but i i have so many things and projects going on right now like real adult stuff uh so it's just kind of taking a back burner as everything does once you start getting up there in your career but uh i definitely want to at least start a moped based photography project um that's something that i've been toying with in my head uh just gotta wait for covid to not be so insane and wait till the states and everyone is uh are running rallies and stuff again and 
start putting together a little book or something like that. Yeah, that'd be sick. Um, I know yeah. um, there's a couple people that are, you know, out there doing that, taking pictures and, you know, giving stuff mm-hmm. away. I'm like, dude, yeah. All the, all the stuff we can do to, like, make it more, you know, visible for us and stuff to save for memories and stuff, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Dude, um, before we get off to, I had a couple other little quick questions that just came in from the internet earlier. Uh, one of the guys asked if, um, if like Mitch Max spokes were like, uh, were good, like uh, having more spokes in the front versus the rear, or like three spoke mags versus six spoke. Like he heard that it had like some kind of like handling benefits. Um, maybe, but we're not going fast enough to really like care. Uh, I think the big thing with weight as in regards to front and rear wheels, if you have a bigger tire or a heavier wheel in the front, your handling in the front will feel a bit more stable, uh, but turning in is going to be a little bit harder. If, if that's even like a, much of a big deal for our small bikes. Mm-hmm. But that's that's really all it is. You can just run whatever you can. I was running the mix match wheels at one point just to just because I had tires on a different wheel, you know. Yeah. So it it's irrelevant to be honest. Yeah, they're light enough. You just toss them around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, the last question was kind of a random one. What's your uh, pagan? What's what's your favorite pagan ritual? <laughs> uh, man. Well, you know, you have to start off with a heavy set of, of like a good playlist, right? <laughs> like a really good playlist of just the, the heaviest metal that you possibly can. Maybe even close to satanic metal. Mm. And then uh, you, you get the goat, and I'm going to stop there. <laughs> And the leather ropes, you know, we got this. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's something about whips and chains. Yeah. Like I, yeah. Forgot, I forgot the directions. We got that book in the closet. We'll dust it yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're not going to remember at the end of it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool, dude. Thank you for hanging out, man. I appreciate it. Uh, it'll be out tomorrow. I'll tag you and everything. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, this was fun cool yeah definitely appreciate it all right dude later all right see ya cool thank you guys for listening that's another week of the Muppet money podcast like big shout out to victor like you know he's you know super integral part of like the like moped racing out on the east coast and you know like i said seeing him like go out and like beat Kristoff and those guys out there was like cool to see a couple years ago and like gave away a ton of information so check out his blog it's um blog dot three the number knees down.com i'll like post it in the like information for the uh the episode when i post it up tomorrow and you can follow him on instagram all that stuff i'll tag them but thank you guys for listening once again um dude another year of the super bowl podcast so I don't know. Always fun doing it during the Super Bowl. This year's definitely less hectic than I think the last two or three years we did it during the Super Bowl. So you know, not, not a lot of screaming. Had a couple of my putters pop in, but no one like you know got loud and rowdy. So I don't know. That's cool. 
I gotta like go in the other room, maybe eat some more of these uh Super Bowl Sunday leftovers. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys. I'll see you guys next week. Fuck your car. Ride a moped. So um, what are your favorite moped sounds? Fuck your car. Ride a moped. I don't know. Like touch a flower. Is it moving? Like no. Feel free. Locked up. Sounds like a fuck, dude. Wah, wah, wah. You fucking blew it. <laughs>